Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Let It Roll, the podcast about how and why popular music happens, hosted by Nate Wilcox. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Nate uses AKG microphones and headphones. Today, Nate returns with his cohorts Eugene S. Robinson, lead singer of the art punk band Oxbow, and veteran entertainment attorney Alexi Ald to continue their discussion of Netflix's hip-hop evolution. This week, they look at Notorious Big's life after death and the dreaded Jiggy era. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. Time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, joined by these two reprobates, Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson. We're continuing our discussion of hip hop evolution on Netflix. This time we're talking season three, episode two, Life After Death, which focuses on the notorious Big and his empire with the Junior Mafia, Little Kim, Puff Daddy, Jay Z, and the Jiggy era. And first up, first section is Big and Puff Daddy. Now, we talked about Big and his first album, Ready to Die, a few episodes back. Last time, we talked about the death of Tupac. And now, obviously, time is running out for Mr. Biggie Smalls. But some of the key quotes, and they chose to go in the direction of spending the first part of the show talking about Big's mogul ambitions. Big wanted to be a mogul. And lucky for him, his manager was a mogul in the making, is what is the way Shad introduces it. I found that a little weird because how was it lucky that Puff Daddy was a mogul when Big wanted to have his own independent mogul? Do you guys have a take on that? It gave yeah, me, presuma- gonna... presumably, if you want to learn how to be a mogul, talk to a mogul. It's like being a mason. Want to be a mason? Talk to a mason. Simple. The thing that got yeah, me, though, was prior to watching that, the conspiracy theory of uh, uh, Suge Knight wanted to have Tupac killed – because Tupac was going to leave death row. When I saw like, oh, he wanted to do his own thing. I was like, ah. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then yep, I immediately yep. looked up like, are there any conspiracy theories about uh, Puffy having Big killed? You know, because it's kind of strange. They would start out with that. And then also think, like, yeah, he wanted to have his own label and his own thing. And I was cool with that. Really? The conspiracy theories are about Puff having some connections in the L.A. underworld and people that he had hired to protect him slash put hits out on Shug Knight. And that, that, that came around back around to haunt him. There was some kind of falling out about that. And that's what led to Biggie, but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. So, so first, you know, Tupac has passed. They're talking about Biggie, his vision for the future. He wanted to be a label, 
label owner and and you know so he puts together the junior mafia which is nine dudes from brooklyn that, that basically everybody admits biggie just had some pals that he wanted to carry along in his wake and the story is they got nine guys because he had so many friends but it's pretty obvious to me it's a Wu-Tang Clan reference. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, yeah, I think the whole thing, I mean, those guys were, were on parallel paths. I think what RZA pulled off is is kind of more what he was thinking about and, and less of, of, you know, champagne uh, designer shirts and, uh, and you know, getting sexually serviced by Christopher Williams. I mean, I, 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 te- I, te- I tend to think... <laughs> You know, because you've seen that th- you've seen that thing picked up. I mean, Fifty tried it as well, right? He tried to have the whole the G unit, and then they actually had a falling out. And I was like thinking, is Fifty is it Fifty or is it Mayweather? Is it Fifty is my? And finally, I think it's is Mayweather because Fifty he was very candid about it. He said, "Look, you know, um, I set the table, but you guys got to bring something to the meal. You know, you got to be out there touring. You got to be working your social media. It can't be all me." And uh, when you had somebody like the Wu-Tang Clan, you had like lots of really motivated individuals, you know, who, who were willing really to bust talented their individuals. Motivated and talented. Yeah, that, there's maybe a, a major difference. But, you know, sometimes you give people a form and they can do, I mean, it's interesting to see if you take these secondary or tertiary crews, how much real talent was there and how much was just trying to do a solid tip to dudes back home, you know? But I think I think the template is the Wu-Tang template, and I don't think it was drawn from from Diddy. I don't think, I mean, maybe we would have seen him gone into fashion, but that whole rock-aware thing, that just didn't seem to be part of what he was thinking about when he pulled all those people in. He was a fashion horse himself in his own way, but uh, I don't think that's what he was thinking about. Yeah, and then and then they talk about the the junior mafia a little bit, and then they zero in on the gym. What what Puff Daddy calls, uh, he had some talented, really charismatic characters around him, but he had this one gem, and it was Little Kim. And then yeah. they do the Little Kim section. But let's let's talk about what they missed here. First off, I thought they way under discussed Life After Death, Biggie's second album, which doesn't come out until yes. after he dies. But he's working on it up to his death. And it's his big double album, his final statement. And it's way more important to me than Junior Mafia or Little Kim. Am yep. I wrong? Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, for Junior Mafia, yeah, Little yeah, Kim. Yep, yep. Little, yeah, we'll talk about Little Kim. No, no, you're right. So, so, no. so it is bigger, right? Because it's it's he it was, you know, it did blow up. And did extremely well and has 10 crack commandments and so many things on there. More money, so, more problems. And... Right. So, right. Yeah. So, so yes. Mm-hmm. So, definitely Junior Mafia, just not even the same orbit as either yeah, Lil cause... Kim or uh, Life or After Big. That. But, I mean, the right. one thing in defense of Junior Mafia, which I went back and listened to this week, is it has Big on a number of songs, like Player's Anthem, yeah. that I think is really catchy. And, and it's decent. I've heard worse albums from that era. <sighs> Um, and and they never there's always Big or Kim or other guests on the track, so it's never the Junior Mafia guys having to carry a whole song in there. Um, well, they couldn't. The one, they couldn't really, right? I mean, that's yeah. The I mean, that's the thing. It's like the old joke about uh, the rock band Black Oak, Arkansas, that they had three guitarists who collectively didn't add up to one good one. And, yeah. You know, you got nine MCs that. And well, then also, I mean, but I mean, who do you? Lloyd Banks is the only one from G Unit that I remember. I guess there were other guys there. I don't remember them, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's easy to forget side guys, but people that they did forget. Harlem World, 
Harlem World, I, I remember Mace. That's about it, right? Yeah. And yep. a little, well, yeah. little Kim, but you know, so. Yeah, and we'll get to that. But the the one thing that they did love out was Easy Mo B, who produced Ready to Die, mm. and was a big producer. Um, early Wu Tang Wu Tang associate, he produced Genius's first album and RZA's first solo album before Wu Tang, and I think deserved a mention. I don't know if they just couldn't get him on the show or what. And I also don't talk about Craig Mack, who was the first artist of yeah, Big Boy. Yep, yep, yep. Or yep, or Total, yep. which was the background yep. singers uh, yep. for Big, you know. And they don't talk about. The extent to which Bad Boy from the get go was kind of a hip hop slash R and B label. Yep. Like I think that that was kind of Puff's vision from the beginning was to go jiggy, if which will because they had that later. soundtrack. Uh, man, what was it? Something Drive. There was some soundtrack that they uh, that that Bad Boy was behind that just totally blew up and really set them on the map in terms of total one twelve. Uh, and then you're right with Craig Mack, Flavor in the Ear. Like that's the one that had you know so many different artists on it. Um, that was kind of like setting the you know setting the uh, the sword in the middle of the thing of you know. I expected a lot out of Craig Mack, and I'm not quite sure what happened. Styles uglier than Craig Mack. I got the flavor. <laughs> yeah, I, there, I think there's some personal stories. I was looking at that a little bit. That Craig, but. You're crazy like that glue. Yeah. There's some weird, weirdness <laughs> went on with Puffy Combs and Craig Mack. Like there's some interview where Puffy references his album's about to drop and Craig Mack looks at him like, you know, what are you talking about? Because mm. my album's nowhere near ready. And, you know, but anyway, but now we get to Lil' Kim. And so, and I was kind of surprised by this when I first watched it because Lil' Kim to me seemed more like a footnote, but then watching it, thinking about it, she was big, mm. big, big time. And also I, I had not realized the extent to which she raised the stakes for female rappers yep. in terms of commercial success. I mean, the first female rapper to go platinum and it's all, it's not all. She's a good rapper. She's a solid rapper. And, and that album is very much in the Nas tradition of, you know, one MC and then 10 producers basically or six, seven producers. So it doesn't have a unified sound, but it's got, it's, it's much better than the stuff that's going to be coming out of bad boy. In, a, in just a couple of years, but the thing that they and they do talk up her sexuality, and they have because no, that know, was that was a shocker. That was a thing. The funny thing yeah. is, listening to it again today, right for the first time since you know in in decades. I remember in New York, my friend's GP played it. Uh, none of us had heard it before, and it was so raw and so raunchy. This guy that we were in the car with, this Harvard guy, bougie guy, like who never cursed or used the Lord's name in vain, just went off. He's like, this is why, this is why when 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 your daughter is is like a whore on a strip pole and rah, 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 and I don't he was just going crazy because the the hypersexualization of women on the album and rap music like he just lost his shit and a lot of people like you know there are it, uh, some of those uh the lines in those songs were anthems for a lot of women back in the day you know i used to be scared of the dick you know so it, it so so it's like going from first class to coach yeah <laughs> so she really like she just really hit just uh just this i can't say the zeitgeist but just really just i think it was it, zeitgeist. it was very much that gen x 90s but but but, but, but also I, 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 yeah. I connected I but connected I, to Millie Jackson too. 
you know, mm. I mean, that's well, in the, the piece old tradition for Jackson. sure. I think I connected him very directly. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also at the same yeah. time, um, Foxy Brown came out, and, and you know, she also had a patty mouth too. So you know, and they showed the the cover of her album. So there was that kind of thing that was going on too. So it wasn't like just her in a vacuum. It was like an an, an arms race for like who has a female rapper that's cute, right? That's attractive, but can just flow and just hit you with lyrics and delivery like harder than dudes and it was i remember a lot of guys like yeah i do not buy women's uh, uh i don't buy women rappers but i bought Lil kim or i or i bought foxy brown you know it's just it's that kind of thing that they were bringing to the table and again what i thought was fascinating about that album was it goes to i guess some of the best entertainment experiences one could have in the sense that when you listen to something for the first time and it hits you you're like what the fuck is this you know, it's totally like shakes you and just just not like anything else that you heard. That's what hardcore was. And that's what she was bringing to the table that really, in terms of a cultural touchstone, was just mind blowing in rap. Yeah. However, 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 the elephant in the room and I, this is why I keep making the gas face over here is that uh, this plastic surgery, ah, man. No, 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 yeah, yeah. Funny. And we're not talking about now, no, but like just, back I, in the day. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, yeah. No, 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 back in the day, that's fine. But I, I, I have to view it through the prism of now. And it's just like, I, you know, it's all sad. of that tough talk and all yeah. of that, yep, you yep. know, saucy self-acceptance. Yeah. And then I, I, I look at, you know, I, I know it's addictive. I know it's, but you know, why did you, how did you end up looking like a Jackson? How did that happen? You know, I mean. You are for real. Yeah, I'm really, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's distracting and disappointing yeah. in the extreme, you know. Especially when so, they're showing footage of her in the 90s and then footage of her yeah, in the yeah. 2010s. She's usually black. <laughs> yeah, it's very disconcerting to see what plastic yeah. surgery It's so It's so her, aggressive. But- it's yeah. so aggressive that without this documentary, I wouldn't have been sure they were the same person. It's true. It's true. She, yep. I mean, her nose looks like a. Yeah, I was bad like, "Who's this chick?" And then, then, yeah. then like, I, I look away and I hear the voice. I go, "Oh, oh, yeah." What? 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 Nah, yeah. And I think that's yeah. the thing with her too, because remember, she was somebody who transcended rap. So she was somebody that was like seen as like a fashion icon and a lot of mainstream fashion designers just loved little Kim and loved her style and what she was bringing to the table in terms of her attitude. So I, I think that's probably what contributed to like what you saw in terms of the, I guess the, I, I was gonna say final product is the fact that when you're all caught up in, okay, here's the look and here's how I have to look and here's what this kind of look is and here's so-and-so. It just, as opposed to somebody, you look at like a Moni Love like who just did nothing to her her face, you know, or you or MC Light, Light looks still exactly the same. Exactly, MC Light too. Yep, looks you know great. And but the one thing they left out, the big thing that there are two things I think they left out of the section, and the biggest one to me is Big's role in sexualizing Little Kim. Because mm-hmm. I was watching another documentary that was just on Big, and they were everybody there was like, you know, Kim was super hardcore and she's doing gangster rap, and Big was like, girl, you gotta sex it up. You can't just be doing gang gangbang stuff, and then and then in this they all paint it as Kim pushing that and Biggie being kind of like, oh, no, you got you you, you you mean like the wrong gangbang stuff? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And well, then, well and the then, ones with guns, yeah, the ones with are, guns. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. And and then the other thing is the story well, because about, and, and that was and that and that was and that was good advice because that was believable. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. A sing, not only a single woman who's shot somebody, 
I don't know a single woman who's pulled a gun out on somebody, and I know women who carry guns, right? So, um, but you know, I do know several women, who, <laughs> you know, figuratively and biblically, live in public, if you will. <laughs> yes, yes. But the other thing, the other story they tell is is Puffy's, you know, reaction to be blown away by the album, and they don't mention that Puffy produced multiple tracks on the album. So it's kind of like, but he did forgot. he produce? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, did I produce yeah. that? <laughs> that? might be. Oh yeah, Puffy. Oh yeah, I did. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, the producer that's, gets that's, a certain yeah. amount of a royal. Oh yeah, that's right. I did produce that one. I, I think that's I produced some other ones. But you too. know, <laughs> you know, the thing that's blew, that blows my mind is that too. I I don't know how they don't put together the fact that the phone has stopped ringing. The phone has stopped ringing. I wonder why the phone has stopped ringing after all those. Pla- my voice hasn't changed. I could still. Why? Is it, because you, why don't you get together with Mickey Rourke and the two of you can talk about how that phone no longer rings. It, you, the way you look is so distracting that anything coming out of your mouth, I can't pay attention to. He could do the wrestler because that made sense. He's all angry because he wasn't in the Irishman. If you were watching him in the Irishman, you'd be watching the whole time going, Mickey, what the fuck? What's, what's with Mickey's face? What's with his face? You know, it's like the reunion so. of Arrested Development when they all come back and everybody's had horrific plastic surgery and they're just shocked. But that's off topic. Let's focus. <laughs> the other thing they left out is, you know, they they mentioned the Faith Evans marriage to Biggie. They don't mention Lil Kim and Biggie publicly having an affair and and driving a big wedge between Faith and Biggie. They don't mention that at all. And the fact that Big, Big Faith had moved out of his apartment and the whole bit, they don't go into any of that, which I don't know how relevant it was, but, you know. And then I Tupac mean, slept with who? Who, who did he slept with? Faith? Tupac or claimed he slept with Faith Evans, but I think grossly false. I mean, pretty obviously false. And, and How pretty obviously? <laughs> what do you mean? As a I mean, from her, from her account, is like they promised her $25,000 to guest on a song. And then it takes a long, long time to get the money out of him. And then she realizes, and Tupac, according to that faith, Tupac demanded oral sex. And she said, you know, fuck off. And, uh... and, and you know, just give me my money. Thank you very much. Like, I don't know. It just seems real chicken shit on Tupac's part, that oh, whole man. bit. I mean. I thought she was supposed to be the Tupac but... defender, Nate. I can't defend that. You're the one that likes that song. You're the one <laughs> I do. That. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Let, me, let me get the, I, I'm confused. So he says, I want you to do a song on the record. I'll give you $25,000. She says, okay. And then he says, first, you got to suck my dick. No, then she does the I, I, song. And then she's going back to get paid. And then he, the, the tone changes and he's demanding oral sex. And she's like, you know. Fuck off. Just give me the money, please. So, <laughs> yeah. did, he, did he pay the money? Apparently so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and I was then just playing. This, I was just playing. Yeah, I had a, yeah, I had a similar talk. situation happen. The guy jerked me for the hey. money, the promoter, and he was like, "Hey, man, you got to come to my house again." I was like, "Fine, cool." And I go to his house, and dude is like, "Attack dog," and he's got like two heavies with him, and they're just like stone face on either side he's sitting in one of those big uh, uh huey newton chairs you know <laughs> and uh, he's like this heavy roster cat but it's like bro you owe me 500 bucks i don't give a shit who you bring and so i you know <laughs> i walk in and he's trying to like scare, try to scare me i go you know what's not scared my gun is not scared. Like, give me my fucking money, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> you try to play it off from the perspective yeah, of Big Tupac. 
your five hundred dollars yes, yes. is chump change. Utter, utter, utter. Yeah, anyway, I know. You're missing I multiple know, zeros I here. Know. So, yeah. I, 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 but we still got to we got to kill Biggie money. here. So let's get back. <laughs> let's let's focus. So then the next section of the show is about the death of Big, and I thought they did a pretty good job. You know, the classic Quincy Jones party at the at the automobile museum, and Biggie's yep, yep. on the West Coast trying to make amends. And the thing about it is, this whole feud. Biggie wanted no part of it from the get-go. You know, this was basically all Tupac and Shug Knight, you know, and, and very little from from Big and and Puffy. And and so, but Biggie's mistake was trying to go to LA and and squash the beef. And then, you know, he gets killed, but they do not they they don't speculate at all about who killed him in this. Not show. at all. Right? Although I mean, the know. irony, right, vibe fueling the beef between East Coast and the West Coast, right? And then, yeah, and then he ends up going to a vibe, vibe party. party. Tell you. Yeah, maybe we can blame vibe. I do think they do blame the media pretty convincingly on this documentary, and definitely the media played a part in it. And and the other thing I thought they left uh, out. I, they, what? Go ahead. Just, I mean, for me, what that was about was uh, – um, a New York guy's fundamental misunderstanding of LA, mm. of, of, of the West Coast. And, I, you know, as a New York guy myself, I, you know, <laughs> I, I could completely understand it because people took me to bad neighborhoods in Carson and Compton in, in San Francisco. And I was like, what? They're trees. <laughs> mm, I see trees and, so, and green. So, so and all. Right. In other words, I this is just a macro version yeah. of me not having any sense of what West Coast danger looked mm. or felt like, you know. Um, and, and, and so I think he came out thinking that it was was like a version of New York, like you know, there's like Manhattan or how mobile dangerous people are in LA, mm. you know, because he was like, Correct. "Hey, party in Beverly Hills, how safe can you be?" But everybody's got cars and you know other than yeah, the traffic problems you can get from compton to beverly hills pretty quickly you know which in yeah. new york you got to get the subway or whatever it's it's not yep, like yep, you know yep. the south bronx is going to yep. go down to manhattan uh you know right. and, and, right. and shoot shit up so you know so it was a really other, major miscalculation it's a major miscalculation and the only yeah, thing i was, I was like, curious about it that given how much they hung out together how come uh puffy wasn't in that car he was in the car in front of him. I mean, you know, you're trying, to, you're trying to gen up conspiracy. Was, was, was he? No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not accusing him of anything. Well, they were each in cars with bodyguards. This yeah. is the thing. And, and drivers. So, and, and, so, and who, was, who was killed? Biggie was killed. Outside of, outside of him. Nobody. I mean, no, not nobody else the in the car was even touched. That's some, yeah. that's some not even the bodyguard? That's where they fired, you know, exactly yeah. like Tupac, you know, they, they went after the guy sitting shotgun and, and got him. Um, but then the other thing, then they do the funeral in Brooklyn, which is very compelling. I mean, all of Brooklyn came out. It reminded me of, of newsreel footage of Dion O'Banion, the Chicago gangster when he died or Elvis, when Elvis died or Kurt Cobain in Seattle or Brian Jones when he died, you know, these massive public funerals. And that was one thing I, that I thought they could have compared him to somebody like Elvis or Brian Jones, like these rock stars. Cause that's how big he was. And, and they get across the idea that Brooklyn loved him, but they didn't really, to me, and they got across the idea that his mother finally gets it. Oh, my son was a star. And this is, you know, has this emotional impact. But but I really think that they should have 
hammered home just how big Biggie was. I mean, this guy was a massive, massive, massive star. And so was Tupac. And that's one thing I wanted to bring up from last time. Another thing that Tupac fucked up is Tupac had a pretty unique opportunity because, you know, if you look at the history of music and movie stars, you know, Bing Crosby, massive recording star, massive movie star, Frank Sinatra, you know, massive music star, Oscar winner, just like Bing was. Elvis was a big movie star, but he was not a legit A-list movie star. The Beatles had one big movie and basically walked away. And after that, rock and roll and music and movies went their separate ways. And Tupac suddenly is basically instantly A-list actor. And I think had he lived, he would have done many, many roles. And probably his loss to Hollywood was a bigger loss than his loss to music, or at least as big. Mm. So... Oh, 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 stop it. I just saw what? Method Man. I saw Method Man and Soul Plane, and that was up there with Olivier. Come on. <laughs> Method Man have was great in The Soul? Wire. Have you seen, have you seen I, Soul Plane? I, I'll have to catch up on, on Soul Plane. But, I mean, not, there's a whole generation of rappers who did great, you know, had great Hollywood careers. Ice-T, Ice Cube, um, et cetera, best, et cetera. Who was who, the best one? I'll tell you right now, I, you're not going to get it. With the, the best, best rapper, actor. The best, the best rapping actor. Correct. Correct. Is, you tell me. Most deaf. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no. I'm, not, I'm not knowing you. I'm just saying that that was something yeah. that was, yeah. even when he was blowing up, people were like, well, why is he rapping when he's a movie? You know what I mean? Like he yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. totally. And totally. he was a mainstream actor and a, kind of an underground rapper, but we'll get to most stuff in a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just, I just thought, cause watching that Brooklyn funeral, um, it reminded me of Elvis at Graceland when, when Elvis died, you know, I mean, it, this was a big, yeah. big deal and they do get that across, but I really think they could have compared it to some of these, some of these white rock stars and, and hammer that home. But that, that was about it. I mean, otherwise, I felt like they covered this stuff um, as well as they had to. But I like the episodes when they're able to talk about like a small scene, the regional scenes, the way they cover the regional scenes, Miami, Houston, or we're going to go to Memphis and New Orleans later on in the series is way more interesting than when they're covering these superstar celebrity stuff. And they have to talk about Tupac and Biggie. It's more, probably the biggest story yeah. in rap history. But yeah. to me, something a show like this that's about evolution of music, the once somebody's already made it and they're they're seen as at the top, it's less interesting to me than the up and coming scenes. That's mm. that's all. So anyway, it's also we'll interesting to me. Uh, it's, a, it's also interesting to me that the, that the, there are only two styles of music that have actually breached the the the, the, the thin membrane between fantasy and reality, and it's hip hop and and, and like black metal <laughs> right it's like norwegian black metal like it's only two, two scenes that have actually really resulted in dead people and that uh, you know i like country music I, I see, I'm, I'm with not, it. but i'm you know phil specter but he doesn't count because he had well i mean it was his career was way over by the time you know he he yeah, actually correct. murdered somebody but country music there's tons of stories you know just inches 
from people's heads yeah. where Hank Williams could have shot yeah. somebody or Ernest Tubb. Ernest Tubb, yeah. I believe, did shoot somebody in, in a, a major radio station. I think he was going after one well, of the big but shots. I'm, I'm, I'm Lockery, about, but, yeah, lead, lead Belly killed him. But, you know, I'm just... I'm well, Lead Belly did life. that before he was famous. Like, he was in jail. Then that's he gets true. out of jail to become a folk singer. So, yeah, no, right. this is true. Right. And this was the big problem with Big In... The tragedy of Big In Tupac and what I think people learned from this was let's keep the feuds on the records sell records have fun and and not get murdered you know which said, i had a, said I, I, I let's had a, get rid uh, of the feuds and that's what killed hip-hop we're going to get into the next episode yeah, yeah we'll get into that but we'll I, come I back a, and we'll I, I, go ahead I had a problem with a guy i had a problem with a guy in your city and i had to remind him of the tupac biggie thing and said we could just bow our separate ways and play our little shows for our little measly few dollars or you could like, we could go some other place with this. And the guy was like, are you serious? I go, yeah, I'm serious. We could just forget about it and move on. He goes, forgotten. I go, good. Yeah, that's see, it. that's how you squash your beat. in the but... same gang. Yeah, yeah. so when we come back <laughs> from a real life two-week break on the show, it'll just be a short break and we'll come back and we'll talk about what Sean Puffy Combs did after Biggie died, the emergence of Jay-Z and the dreaded Jiggy era, which none of our hip hop snobs here. It approve of <laughs> all right i don't think it's like it's like uh, don't jump jump through gun on that one i might like chilling in the biz with my amigos trying to stick a brother for his peso if he say so then i'm the same chick that you want to get with and lick me where it's hot gotta hit the spot it's not don't test the boom boom nani nani panani dani And now a word from our sponsors. Like the firm, getting down for life, strike. You better learn why I play with fire, you burn. We get together like a choir to acquire what we desire. We do dirt like worms, produce G's like sperm, to legs spread like germs. I got extensive holes with expensive clothes, and I sit fine wines and spit vintage clothes. But y'all know, yeah, 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 cause you can't knock the hustle. It's time to let it roll. Or actually, we are already rolling. We're returning after a brief break to the Jiggy era. Last in the previous segment, we discussed the rise of Biggie Smalls, his protege, Little Kim, and Big's tragic murder in Los Angeles. Now we turn to the Jiggy era, starting with Sean Puffy Combs' miraculous recovery from the lowest he'd ever been. Alexi, it seems like the feels are overwhelming you about this. One thing about Harlem world, we all got dough. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Mace, you're quoting the, the would-be yeah. heir to Biggie. Although Puffy kind of stepped in and took over himself as the front man with the inspirational uh, cover of the police song. <laughs> was that was that, <laughs> that a cover? Was a was massive I, I well it was if it's a whatever note for no, it was a, a melange. No, yeah, man. They added themselves to the songwriting credits and uh, took a slice. I think that was, karaoke. That, from... that was karaoke. 
<laughs> now let's not be hating. We're trying to be historical here. This clearly had a massive impact. Now, Lexi, you're making gestures. You're not talking. No, well, you know, I, I was letting Eugene stomp. <laughs> I see. I see. I see. What is the stomper <laughs> without stomping? <laughs> exactly. So, so, Q-tip lied. So the thing is, what I thought was interesting is if you actually look at what the genius of Sean Combs, right? Which is he starts out. He has Craig Mack in there, Biggie in there, and then he goes with Mace. So with Mace, it kind of waters down from Biggie, and then he puts himself in there. So it's the 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 whole Jiggy era. It's funny as you know, we're gonna go forward. I guess I mean a little foreshadowing in terms of who else we're gonna talk about. And I was thinking about like there's certain albums and artists that just i did not listen to and i was just trying to figure out I was like well what was i listening to in 96 okay helta skelta buster rhymes are coming like the fuji's album the score what did i listen to in 97 and then i just saw that like there was a certain period of time which i kind of fell out of listening to hip-hop and it was the jiggy era that's when it, just, it was that killed hip-hop for me. i was in new york at the time in the radio they were playing guilt playing uh sean combs all the time so much so that a friend of mine said uh but uh i don't know what they want from me it's like the more puffy i hear about the more bullshit i see you know so <laughs> he was just like all over the place just total puffy radio and this whole notion of stop hating right so the whole crux of hip-hop had been battle rhymes it had been like almost like gunslingers back in the day uh metaphorically right like you're on top someone's coming for you from busy b like having kumo d on his ass having you know ll cool j, LL cool j after kumo d the, the, the bridge versus krs1 you know krs1 versus the bridge you know so battle raps and battling was just so key to hip-hop and my enjoyment of it so what happens is Biggie, Tupac dies, Biggie dies, and then Puffy comes in and says, we need to stop hating everybody. We need to stop hating. And by injecting, the, the genius is, by injecting the whole stop hating and from the guilt and the depression over the deaths of Tupac and Biggie, it kind of forced individuals to hold their tongue and not criticize how shitty a rapper and performer Puff was and just open up this whole era for second-rate rappers to come in and not get criticized. Because if you were critical of them, you were hating. And you need to stop hating. Master P totally came in on the same thing. Stop hating. So it was a really fascinating marketing ploy that Puffy, Master P, and a lot of individuals who had an eye for talent were able to transition and become the talent unchecked without anyone checking them in rhymes without having to battle rap with having to freestyle anything because you didn't want to hate because hating is what got tupac and biggie killed and we don't want that now do we and also the old mawkish tribute song to the rock star who just died i mean that goes back to rudolph valentino in the 20s and the song the chic you know like there, there were dozens of songs when buddy holly died there were englishmen who made their whole career singing corny maudlin songs about buddy holly so it was inevitable somebody was going to do a mawkish tribute to yeah, yeah okay I, I gotta I, I gotta shit all over that take I'm sorry. Oh, no. I, I just Rain I down on There was money to be made, and money uh, was made. No, 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 no. Yeah, that's the cynical attack you would expect me. Look, but you almost, you're almost there. The marketplace, the marketplace. You, look, I did a show 
at the at the Omni in Oakland, and I, I had never seen bad hip hop before then, right? Like I, I'd seen, I thought Run DMC were kind of boring on stage. I thought De La Soul were kind of boring on stage, yeah. but it wasn't bad. And then we played this show, and they decided to do it, be, you know, have it be like a Lollapalooza deal with all these different types of music. And for the first time in my life, I saw a bad hip hop group. There's a band from Oakland, and I was like, these guys are going nowhere. I don't even know why they're here tonight. Don't they know they're shitty? But, you know, ultimately what happened is the marketplace does what the marketplace does. And they were forced to realize at some subsequent point that they were shitty. So, yeah, a lot of stuff got through in the immediate aftermath, but that was a welcome adjustment. I'm going to have to go with the kind of... I, it was in the zeitgeist, way. but no, but the zeitgeist, I was working at Code Magazine in the late 90s, right? And um, the, going to D.C. when Clinton Clinton was president, going to D.C. and, you know, Kwame... Uh, uh, um, uh, and Fume. Who's the guy? Yeah, and Fume was the head of NAACP, and there were all these kind of, you know, black D.C. events, as well as kind of, you know... He wasn't, um, he wasn't the... Uh, the he, wasn't, he wasn't the representative from Baltimore at that point? Congressional Black Caucus? That's totally uh, relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, whoever so, so the, the point the, the point is, there was this kind of sense of this great ascendancy, and, you know, to a certain degree, I'm going to have to say that Puffy was the, the, the cheerleader for this... What is it they call that... Um, uh, prosperity preaching kind of oh, like yeah, it, yeah, it was just yeah, it, yeah, it was yeah, just it yeah. was a, it was a modern day big daddy grace without mm. without as much of the grift because in actual fact when you went to buy a, 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 a p diddy cd you got a p diddy cd whereas you know daddy grace was just selling people you know fake dreams and stuff, <laughs> stuff like religion that. and etc but yeah. the, thing, the thing is it was an economic boom it was a Democratic administration that had followed the Reagan neoliberal model. So now this is the diversity of neoliberalism, which means now we've got Puffy Combs in the boardroom. Right, right. Everybody isn't everybody happy about it. But and I don't also, also, after you remember at that time, he started that fashion line, which actually was Sean taken John. super, yeah, super seriously, and won award, like Cody Awards right. and you know fa- fashion industry awards. So there were there were, there were plenty of reasons for celebration. It's like, yeah, you might have come from you know. If, he embodied the whole ashy to classy thing where it became empty and bankrupt and hollow is when people thought, well, this is the script now. I guess I got to do that, (laughs) you know? Hmm. And of course, you know, then of course it became empty and hollow in the long run when somebody like Mace goes, you know what Puffy's about? I offered him (laughs) like $5 million to get my master's back and he refused to take it. So that's all this stuff about Harlem world and we're, we're friends and stuff like that garbage so you know it's promise was squandered but initially in 98 99 97 98 99 it was a pretty it was a pretty heady time and pretty fantastic well i mean the thing is tupac and biggie had broken into a whole new audience and they were dead and and death row fell apart dre was so slow and snoop wasn't working with dre anymore so the west coast was was staggering and bad boy was there i mean they had the pipeline was hooked up and they couldn't fail. And, and, and the mawkish sentimentality and the, the big obvious sample, like I had tuned out of pop culture in 91. The only hip hop I was listening to in this whole period was cool Keith and old shit. Oh, me too. And, and I couldn't escape Puff Daddy. I was aware of this. I was only vaguely aware of Tupac and Biggie at the time. I mean, you know, you couldn't help hearing about him, but then you could not get away from that Puff Daddy 
Uh, I'll be missing you video, you know? And I mean, you know, we're not here to talk aesthetics. We're here to talk history. And this was history. This was massive. And, And I think the key quote was Puff going, I just started to choose real big worldwide samples. And I figured out how to keep them black as a motherfucker, which is questionable to me, but he says, and they would go pop, yeah, but they would still yeah. be so fucking black. We make you that know, cookout make music. So we made that. Maybe feel so good. That's what I do. Yeah, get that married music. We make that making baby music. It was uncharted territory. All of that is true. The black thing is debatable. It's not my place to say. I don't know. Yes, what it is. You light skin. Stop passing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what he's talking about. Hey, man, every breath you take, that's that's straight up Crenshaw. <laughs> Genius, and, and I do have to say, police, I listen to the Puff the I mean, album. Come on now, Warner Brother, WB. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did listen to the Puff, the first Puff and the Family album, though, all the way through getting ready for it's this, and I was pleasantly surprised. It's, yeah. it's, it's actually, yeah. it's there's some kicking beats on I it, and that's and why it's begrudging. No, best look, the fact of the matter is, it's true. Like when you like, it was begrudging kind of thing. Like his face was all up in there, but the <laughs> fact of the matter is, when you went to a club. Yeah. You know, you did want to hear hits. it because, you know, everybody got on the dance floor, everyone's dancing and feeling good. So that is true, you know. So, mm. you know, but there's a difference between like, you know, what you want to listen to when you're in the club, when you're rolling up on some chicks. Well, sure. Opposed, but, but this, this, or this or in your car, or you're in your car, or in your right. private time. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it was a whole new thing. I mean, this was truly the first time that hip hop had been on the MOR channels. This is the first time white housewives across America cannot escape, you know, a hip hop hit if they, whether they want to or not. Well, so this I was a whole, that. I, would, I would have said that about hammer. So that's exactly that what I was thinking. Yeah, of. Can't yeah. touch it. That was a hammer was like one, two hits, you know, and then there was, no, but in, 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 in terms of, was a novelty in terms of ubiquity. Yeah, but Puffy was more like, you know, like Soul Asylum's Runaway Train or whatever. Just one of those songs that like every oh, soap opera watches. You know, I wish woman, I hadn't yeah. said that. I know, I know. And Soul Asylum really killed live, but boy, yeah. did that suck. Oh, and man. anyway, that, that's the niche that they got into. And also the fact that he had so much control over his business. And, be, mm. you know, he's almost a billionaire now. And that's unprecedented in music history. I mean, even Barry Gordy never got the kind of money that Puffy, and we'll talk about JC in a minute, got. But one more quote, and then we'll talk about what they missed. So th- there's a quote from Kevin Lyles, who's another record exec uh, from Def Jam. And he said, in 97, Bad Boy had a moment in time you had to be in awe. These guys, they didn't treat themselves like rappers. They treated themselves like rock stars. And that's what allowed them to have fans of all colors. It was necessary for the evolution of hip hop, and it gave our culture a breath of fresh air. And it really was, to me, grabbing the mantle that Michael Jackson had seized. I mean, Michael Jackson's the first black superstar where he's the superstar of the era. And then Prince comes right on his heels. It wasn't, you know, in the sixties, there was always like, you know, there's the biggest black guy. And then there's the Elvis, you know, like there's Ray Charles and then there's Elvis just on next level. Michael took it, broke that barrier down and, and Puffy just because of the tragedy of Biggie. I mean, that was Biggie's throne, you know, like it would have a whole different world had Biggie lived. And, and, you know, he did put out, another album that was so much better than the posthumous album Tupac put out. But anyway, here's some things they missed. The disastrous second album forever that Puff put out, which is one of those, you know, (laughs) number one on the charts and then just, you know, it had the, and it had the stereotypical, it had the Led Zeppelin, even got Jimmy Page to play on it with the cashmere thing, which had been covering that song live for like a decade at that point. I saw school play that live. 
band in yep. like 89 and 90. Uh, they, they leave out all the R&B groups. 112, I think, went double platinum yeah, 112, for, huh? for Bad Boy in Holy this era. That's a good song. 112. They leave out the locks. <laughs> Yeah. Was, yes. Was yep. The yep. only hardcore group on Bad Boy who then also had a massive dispute. Like I think they had a three-year layoff because they were in contract disputes with Puffy because yep. he wanted fifty percent of their publishing, or he had fifty percent of their publishing and wouldn't give it back. And then who could we forget? Fuzz Bubble. Anybody remember Fuzz Bubble? This was I wanted, that, that's a great game. Bad Boys rock band. Really? Uh, I played, remember. Yeah. They, Google it. Check out the remix of of uh, "It's All About the Benjamins." That's the rock remix. They were on the "All About the Benjamins." Yeah. Yeah, and they and they he got them in two or three other soundtracks, but lost interest before they put out an album. They later put out an album that's you know sort of. See, it's, it's, his, it's his losing interest that made me the two times I've had a chance to work with him that made me soft walk it because I just didn't. It's just too much of that stuff. Like he's just one of those guys. Like I got it. We'll do this and we'll do that, and then the next day he's losing interest. It's like man, I can't. I can't, I can't, I got a thing. I got a life. I got family. I got kids. I can't rush off to New York to do the vibe magazine or, or, or your, your hip hop imprint where, you know, novels once a month with a hip hop theme. Nah, nah, I can't. And none of that stuff subsequently ended up happening. I mean, vibe magazine happened, but you know, it just didn't really. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened to the whole empire. They have like a big year. Outside of, outside of clothing, which is still going. Yeah, yeah, and and he's, I mean, he's kept the money going, and he's still, still, he's, he's kept the money going. And the other thing they didn't mention was all the name changes, because he goes from Puff Daddy to Puffy to P Diddy, then just Diddy, and then briefly he was Diddy Dirty Money. I don't, I didn't remember that that era, but so they I they the they band too. Remember, he had he had cultural oh, yeah. resonance through that too. I want a cheesecake from Juniors. <laughs> well, he go across he the bridge to get it right now <laughs> to become one of those people that. It's just a celebrity for being a celebrity, basically, at this point. Like, in 2020, I don't think anybody even remembers that he was a rapper. He's just a famous rich guy, you know? And then they, speaking of famous but, but, but rich you, guys, but, then they, But how, how, oh, do, how do famous rich guys stay rich, right? Mm. Owning assets. Yeah, like, yeah, was yeah. it Chris Rock that had the whole thing about rich versus wealthy or whatever? Wealthy, Sean yeah, Combs yeah, crossed yeah, the line yeah. into wealthy yeah, by yeah. keeping 50% of people's publishing stuff yeah. like that, you know? But then they segue into Jay-Z. Uh, well, we should mention the Hitman because they talk about his whole strategy. He put together a team yeah. of yeah. producers, ensconced them on an island. He didn't get anybody that was hot. He got mostly people that were, were hungry, I guess. And it worked. They, they put some hits together. I mean, it was a pretty shrewd strategy. He didn't have to deal with superstar producers you know, or people who wanted to be artists. He just got people that were hungry and talented enough, put them in competition with each other. And, you know, it worked for a while. Shine was out there, had a couple hits and, you know, I mean, and, and the big born again album is also excellent. And they should have mentioned that I think a little bit more, but then we segue to Jay-Z and they, and they, and they set it up basically by saying, you know, Puffy claimed the commercial throne but the King of New York title was unclaimed. Like they're not even going to pretend that Puffy is a contender for the best rapper in New York. And then they just say basically, and Jay-Z was the guy. And I got to jump to what they left out. It's like, what about DMX? Like the dude had four number one albums, the only guy in history to have four yeah, albums okay. that debut okay. number one. Then we're going to have to go regional on this. It's from Jersey. Sorry, Alexi. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. I forgot Long Island loyalty there. But, yeah, but nah, the time, get out of here. I'm just telling you. <laughs> right? 
Uh, I'm from Brooklyn. I thought he was from Yonkers. I thought he was from Yonkers. Uh, DMX? Well, they are, uh-huh. like, I mean, I keep waiting for them to do DOS effects. What happened to DOS yeah, effects? Yeah, no, it's true. Bump, tickety bump, tickety bump. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff they left out, but they, they, they annoyed Jay-Z, the king of New York. And Reasonable Doubt, his first album, has held up well. It's it's well regarded. Um, but it wasn't a massive, massive, massive hit. I mean, it took a while to go platinum. I only know it wasn't until his third album. The time, there was only one person I know at the time with the, it's funny because Jay Z is another one. Is, is a person who I look back. It's like, how did I miss Jay Z? Yep. I only yep. know two people when Jay Z was like hot before he crossed over with Hard Knock Life and was like pop, right? Because that was he was pop at that point. The only people I knew that were rocking Jay Z at that point was one guy who was from California who said, "Oh, check out this Jay Z thing. People say he's hot. You know, whatever." Nobody else other than a forty-something-year-old Ethiopian woman who was uh, Danny Simmons' <laughs> manager, you know, the uh, Russell Simmons' brother's an artist. And she said, Jay-Z, you know, he talks to the women about how, you know, when you treat yourself in ways that are scandalous and uh, are like a prostitute, you know, men do not respect you. So he's a visionary. I was like, oh, like, a uh, bitch is a bitch. Uh, I ain't the one. Like, you know, like Jay Z. Like never been any rap artist ever like talking about hoes and skanks before. And then, okay, I get it. So, and again, it's not to put down Jay Z. I just, I don't know if it was just, it just it, so the whole King of New York dynamic. Again, it might have been an age thing. I started working in a law firm at that point. You know, the places I was going to were a little mm. more. You know, than when I was in law school, but you know, I don't. It just it totally missed that period. Yep. Being in New I, York, totally missed that period. No, I I, I felt about Jay Z that he was kind of a, a jive pretender. You know, I just wasn't the whole mafioso thing. I just wasn't wasn't buying it. The same, and then the guy, the Hawaiian the guy, Sophie for you, was because it? Well, no, because he was in Hawaiian Sophie, and to me. Every time I saw him, I was like Jay Z is like that was that dude from Hawaiian Sophie, right? Like with the. Uh, Aloha. So now he's right, a gangster. Right. Was he dealing yeah, drugs yeah, yeah. back when he was wearing the Hawaiian shirt with the Hawaiian well, soap and MTV? The guy who, you know, the person who uh, it was Cedric Sabalos yes. used to play bas- basketball for the Detroit Sons. Pistons and or uh, whoever. I don't know. I, I'm not a basketball guy. So he he handed me the CD and said, "Listen to this." And I was like, "It, it was reasonable doubt." And I was just like, "I just the big cigar. I just uh, it's play acting. It's like a movie yeah. stuff." But you know, um. That's what, what it was. Got, it was a movie, and that that's totally valid. I mean, he was, what, he was what, well. What got me eventually was, you know, the 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 bedrock of this music actually was his wordplay, and then that's I heard, brilliant. and then I understood that he was ghostwriting for people, and then I got then I got really interested. You know, so yeah, I don't have to like him as a performer, and in fact, I think he's a pretty average performer, but that he's writing, that he's penning this stuff that's actually pretty you know the dexterity i go i, I that that's what sold me eventually uh and, not, and they did and, go out of their way to yeah. show his early period when he was a protege of big daddy kane and big daddy kane didn't pick him up out of the street because he, he knew he was gonna be famous 10 years later like he was like this kid is talented and and yeah. you see yeah. the raps he was doing he was kind of like you know, the rap equivalent of one of those kids with a seven string bass that's that's double yep. tapping. You know, he was over the top with the technique, like yep. to the point where it wasn't that I never and he had later this day. I never I've it, never I've tried to listen to him and 
in terms of contemporaries and everything. I just, I prefer his adult contemporary music. But that's irrelevant. That's not, you know, what we're, I mean. Well, it's relevant to my taste. Well, 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 then musically, musically, I started taking him seriously when, of course, he got together with that guy, one of those other guys who I said would never, ever make it, Rick Rubin. So... Well, that was much later. I, I got onto him yeah. when when Danger Mouse did the Gray album, where he combined the Black album with the Beatles' White album, and I was interested in that whole. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Was it much know. later? That was two thousand four. Like, yeah, this is yeah. much much later. Yeah. But then I went back, and and two thousand four like, is a long time ago to me. <laughs> yeah, it's a long time ago, it's but it's also several time. years ahead of what yeah, we're talking yeah, about yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. but but it was like, wow, here's a guy with six albums, and I I went out and bought them all. And I liked half of them a lot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and even the ones I didn't like that much had good cuts. And it's interesting, you know, they talk about how he kind of had a misstep where he, he even brought in the hitmen to produce some tracks mm-hmm. on the second album, you know. But I, I like Reasonable Doubt. I think it's real solid. And yeah. I think he's had a pattern of having a really, you know, if you like him, one of his best albums, then not such a good album. Then one of his best albums, then not such a good album. And he like even like the blueprint. I mean, mm. UGK, baby, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's hated no, no, in hey, Egypt hey, for that. And when I hey, – why? Because he sampled one of their famous, uh, right. you know, um, uh, master musicians, Um Kutum, yeah. and it's a very, very puritanical society. So they basically – you know, he basically took, like, the musical Mother Teresa of Egypt and wrote a song about pimping her, and people really do not care for that. But that's uh, that's but all. But they had already – they had already – she had already been sampled by uh, – no, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. talking about Ofra Hazi, the Israeli. Yeah. Chick, but yeah, but no. But, but no, I, I, if, you, if, you go, if you go back and listen to reasonable reasonable doubt it i didn't i liked it i liked it on secondary consideration more than i liked it on the initial list mm, so maybe that's yeah maybe if i have a chance no. and nothing else to do yeah yeah and a lot of patience nate's dying <laughs> <laughs> sorry Another thing is, you know, the blueprint got five mics, got the, the, the legendary five mics from Source Magazine. Mm-hmm. I think it earned it. It's and and so that's all that's an, RSO. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, no, no critics flawless, but now let's cover some of the things they missed. Again, DMX. I understand why they left him out because he didn't become a business titan in the way that Puffy and Jay-Z did. The story of Rockefeller is pretty unique, and he wasn't posing. The guy was a legit high-volume drug dealer, which I have more problems with than him being a yep. poser. Like, yep. you know, it's pretty icky, especially when he was in the whole down at the Obama White House all the time. I mean, that was like Kennedy, the Kennedys and and the the gangsters basically. Like, well, it's why my was, mother, st- my mother hates him to this day. Yeah. She won't. She won't yeah, won't, yeah. And, and I mean, I I don't let that interfere with my enjoyment of his music. But like I say, I listen to Spade Cooley and Jerry Lee Lewis. So you know, I I do not. I listen to Norwegian black metal, and, and you know, like they're Satanist Nazis who mean it and kill people. Was like, it true that that Michelle had? <laughs> Uh, did not have uh, Beyonce on the list for the inauguration because she was fearful that she was a little too, you know, a little too. No, I, 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 I can't comment. Uh, I can't comment. But yeah, let's can you hear that one? Some, there's quite a bit they left out. And so, so I want to hit some of these. Okay. They leave out Will Smith and they left him out in his heyday. 
and they leave the guy had getting jiggy with it i mean you're gonna talk about the jiggy era and you're not even gonna God, talk God, about the really signature um uh, song title of the hit the other thing they leave out is jazz o they talk about him as an yeah. early mentor of jay-z they don't mention that he's hip deep in producing the first two albums you know he's produced like i think seven tracks on the first two albums they just pretend like he's some guy jay-z knew early on and then later on yeah. left but you know this is a guy who was heavily involved in those uh, the launch of rockefeller he wouldn't sign with rockefeller because he didn't trust yeah. Dash. Well, but that all that thing, there was a swelter of anger and recrimination post facto. They didn't really go into that about Damon. It just, it was just a. a, a, a well, that comes a, a year. That's that's like ten years later when Jay Z screws yeah. over the other yeah. guys, and it was you know they at least all got in. They also don't talk about the stabbing of Lance Rivera allegedly by Jay Z. You know where where I mean hand on the knife stabbing a dude who's a, a record producer. And they also they talk about Rockefeller as totally independent when Payday Records and Priority Records played a big role in launching those yeah. first singles and paying for the videos. So it wasn't just that they had so much drug money. I mean, they also were savvy people who were leveraging other record companies. And they don't mention the feud with Nas. And I will agree, Alexi, that Nas ethered Jay-Z in that feud. But do you remember the firm? Yes, I do. <laughs> The super group that Nas put together with Foxy Brown and Dr. Dre was producing. I went back and listened to that album, and there's a reason that that didn't go anywhere. That was garbage. That was not a good – and that's the way you talk about the firm, somebody that they've totally left out, Foxy Brown. Like They they just showed her album, but like Foxy Brown was huge. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but I mean I understand what they're doing, and I think they're they're doing the narrative, but I just – and the other thing they didn't talk about was the patronage of a new wave of producers on Hard Knock Life. You know, Timberland, some of his first big stuff, Swizz Beats, and Jermaine Dupri, uh, the crisscross guy, comes in yep. and produces some tracks on that. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. And Mr. they leave out the Hard Knock Life Mac, tour. Mac Daddy. The, and, and, and the Hard Knock Life tour, which featured DMX and also uh, Method Man and Who's the guy who's partnering with for a while? Red Red Man? Red Man. Yeah, Red Man. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like they could have talked about any number of that stuff because I felt like they really hammered the whole Rockefeller has so much money. They were just literally throwing at crowds people about five minutes too long. And they could have talked about any number of things. But otherwise, I don't know. I felt it was a pretty good episode. Any final thoughts, fellas? No. Alexi doesn't like the Jiggy Air. He's just. No, no it's really bad. Cause I'm looking back. I mean, I was straight up like you. You, you see, you know, in, in the sense that, like, you know, the way that when Common talked about, I used to love her, right? Like talking about like how gangster rap like kind of destroyed hip hop, right? Which caused that feud between him and and Ice Cube. But it was just really weird because like this was the first episode that featured a person i mean they had other ones where like e40 i was aware of and all and 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 i didn't listen to his stuff and whatever and i you know different reasons for that but um it it was just very odd to say like hey there's this huge vacuum and i literally had to go and say like you know what was released that year 96 97 and Mm. straight up it's like after puffy blowing up and all that kind of stuff as much as you know i enjoyed like in clubs hearing his music like just my attention is totally went elsewhere like after that period. So it was a kind of sadness for me in terms of 
Boohoo, me and hip hop broke up. That's how I felt. That's how I felt about the Chronic Snoop Dogg episode. Like that's that's when I had tuned it out. And but going back, I like the Chronic and, and Snoop Dogg's first album quite a bit yeah. now. So I was. And, and I, I like Jay's older stuff too. I mean, his his adult contemporary stuff. I like the story of OJ. You know, so maybe I will listen to his stuff. And I don't know. For me, it was just I, I felt like it was like it was a soundtrack. It was a soundtrack for the rising and advancing of the Eugene S. Robinson success story, where I would know no horizon would be unsullied, and I was going straight to the top from D.C. to Hollywood to you know hanging out with Holly Berry and Denzel Washington. And I was a mover and shaker before it all came crumbling down like a wall of wet sand in 2000. So. I, 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 I still think of it fondly as like I, I remember checking into this luxury hotel that somebody else was paying for in 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 Beverly Hills, I think it was. And this uh, du- he's a he's a heavy set black dude. Uh, well, let's put it this way: it's really fat with a big afro. He's a pro- uh, hot shit producer by Cam Rodney. What the hell's his his last name? I can't. Sure. And uh, I think it was Rodney Jerkins, right? And I'm checking in. And I look over at Rodney Jerkins. He looks at me, and he kind of smiles, and he throws up the American Express black card at the at the table. I was like, oh. "Fuck, man, we're here!" <laughs> you know. Of course, a year, <laughs> la- a, a year later, I was back to Motel Six, and uh, I don't know where Rodney was, but he was at Motel Six with me. So man, I was, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for the jiggy era next time we'll be back for discussion of past the mic season three episode three which covers the burgeoning underground battle scenes that spa- spawned most deaf eminem and many many more Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate will return with Eugene S. Robinson and Alexi Old to continue their discussion of hip-hop evolution with a discussion of Season 3, Episode 3, Pass the Mic, which features Most Deaf and Eminem. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Let It Roll is dedicated to the memory of Ed Ward, Russell Thomas, and Danny Park. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.